2: Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick and my co-host Larry Dersherman and I have a very interesting show for you tonight. During the second part of our show, we will be joined by former White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer. You don't want to miss that. We are going to be asking him some very interesting questions about some uh, um, both serious and flamboyant adventures that he has had during the course of his career. So stick with us. But first, we take you to the U.S. Supreme Court, where this week the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in a case that could upend Roe versus Wade. Yes, that's Dobbs versus Jackson, Women's Health Organization. This, of course, is the case from Mississippi. That pushes the test of when and if a woman can have an abortion from viability, which of course is the Roe standard, to 15 weeks. It's a direct challenge to Roe. What's interesting about this case from a legal perspective is what it really ends up hinging on, or at least this is the way the judges forecast it, the justices forecast it during oral arguments this week, is it could be a question of. Framing, So, Larry, let me toss it to you just to kind of set the foundation here, because everybody is talking about a case where it could be narrowly framed as Chief Justice Roberts would like to do, simply making it about the Mississippi law, or it could be framed more broadly as some of the more conservative justices would like to do, where it actually could overturn Roe versus Wade, thereby not outlawing abortion, but giving the power to restrict abortion back to the states. Larry, how do you see this case being framed sort of foundationally from a 30,000-foot view, and then we'll drill down?
3: Right. Well, the act is called Gestational Age Act, and basically it says, this Mississippi law, that uh, you cannot really get an abortion after Fifteen weeks, so that's that's the cutoff right there. Before, uh, right now, it's the viability standard, which I think is around twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four weeks uh, into the pregnancy. Uh, so this would definitely shorten the time that a woman would be able to seek out and get an abortion. And uh, I do believe Chief Justice Roberts perhaps wants to somehow preserve Roe v. Wade, but this, if it is, uh, comes down on the side. Of the Mississippi Act, it will definitely uh, take away a lot of the uh, rights, the so called rights of Roe v. Wade. So it's really a bouncing act.
2: It is true. It is a balancing act. And what's interesting about what you said is, remember the Texas case, the eight-week, the heartbeat bill, remember that? So if it were to be construed broadly, let's say Roe were overturned and the power were given back to the states, well, then Texas could continue to be a blueprint for red states, where conservative states would be able to fashion their own laws that would restrict the right to an abortion. And remember, there's a number of states that have trigger laws. So if Roe were to be overturned, abortion would already be regulated in those states. But here's a, you mentioned a balancing test. Here's one of the interesting questions that even liberals and those on the, the uh, pro-choice side have to grapple with. When does a fetus have a right to life? When does a developing baby become viable enough, whether it's being able to live outside the womb at six months or sometime before then when the heartbeat is detected, when does this right to life actually become attached and recognized by the fetus? I bring this up. Because remember the arguments that were made to Chief Justice Clarence Thomas. Now, he seems to have found his voice, Larry, over the last yes. couple of years. And yes. he was particularly vocal on this case. And one of the things he asked to one of the pro-choice advocates for the abortion clinic was, what right are we talking about is do you think there's a right to abortion i mean he said he understood if we're talking about the second amendment the first amendment but where does this fall and she characterized it as a liberty interest what do you think about that argument larry
3: Right. Well, what uh, Chief Justice said, uh, uh, Chief, or not Chief Justice Clarence Thomas? He said, "If we're talking about not the yet. second, uh, <laughs> if you're we're talking about the Second Amendment, I know exactly what you're talking about. If we're talking about the Fourth Amendment, I know what we're talking about because it's written." It's there. What specifically is the right here that we're talking about? And then I believe the uh, person arguing the case for the uh, not accepting that law basically was saying, well, it's just this liberty interest. And what is so interesting about that, we've had a remarkable developments in technology and science over the years. So this uh, Roe v. Wade was uh, decided back in 1973, and it's interesting that um, – Norma Cori uh, was not. Uh, she was the Roe. She actually did not even get an abortion. I don't know if many people know that 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 kid survived. They just used her uh, to, to to get the case going. But we've made remarkable uh, progress, so they can no longer argue with all the uh, ultrasounds and the sonograms and so forth that it's not a human. So now they're changing it into an argument about. Personhood. When does the unborn baby uh, become a person? And I think that's where the the argument is going to hinge on. And then I think Sotomayor said that. Well, I, I, this is just religious people that that think that uh, these unborn children are not uh, th- 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 that uh, that they're persons. And but no, there, there are a number of atheists. Like Christopher Hitchens was a well known atheist. He did not believe in life after death or. Anything, there was no God. He was profoundly pro-life, and so it doesn't just apply to religious people. I think Sotomayor was going in that direction, but it, but it is interesting. It's interesting.
2: Yeah, it's a good argument uh, that you make, and especially there are plenty of mothers. Uh, that maybe were originally pro-choice until, as you mentioned, with the increases in technology, they saw an ultrasound, they saw toes and fingers, and all of a sudden viewed it completely differently, just as you mentioned. And I wonder if there aren't mothers out there. You know, a lot of mothers don't know they're pregnant after eight weeks, but what if they were to to hear the baby's heart beating? Yes. Would that change their view on this? I, I have to say, you know, speaking of Sotomayor and, and Kagan and some of the other uh, liberal-wing um, arguments that have been made, you know, One of the interesting things about this case is that how many abortion clinics do you think are licensed in Mississippi? given the fact that this is stemming from that case.
3: Uh, do you know? I, I don't know. One. One. Okay. The,
2: one that's, the one that okay. is an issue here. Okay. And they don't offer abortions after 16 weeks. So we're talking about if it were to be upheld, it's a one-week difference. Interesting. The relevance of this case is the fact that, as we mentioned at the top of the show, it is that direct challenge to Roe. So that is why it's it just happens to be the vehicle, by which these arguments are being made. And it's been a long time since we had this kind of a direct challenge. Remember Planned Parenthood versus Casey back in 1992. Uh, This is actually a very different time that we live in. And so this may be something more significant. Now, if Chief Justice Roberts has his way, it's simply going to be about 15 weeks and about the Mississippi law. But you heard some of the questioning by some of the more conservative justices. And, you know, the other issue here that we have to think about is the justices are not political. They every single one of them would say that they do not let politics infiltrate their judgment. But guess when this case is set to be decided? When is the result going to be decided? June that's right in the middle of the midterm election. so whether yes. they like it or not their decision is going to have a profoundly political impact
3: right you, you know i wonder i think the, this whole thing again it's established that the unborn baby uh prenatal is a human i don't think anybody's arguing that because we can actually operate on these little kids inside the mother's uh, uh, stomach. But if it becomes a person, I think it's going to hinge on that. And listen to this, Wendy Justice Blackman, the gentleman who wrote the uh, decision in Roe v. Wade, he's passed away now, but he said, Justice Blackman said, he admitted that if prenatal personhood is established, the case for abortion collapses for the fetus' right to life would be guaranteed specifically by the 14th Amendment. So even in that Roe v. Wade decision might be the key to saving these babies, these unborn babies.
2: Yeah. And, you know, if the power were to return to the states, California, New York, some of the very left-leaning states um, probably would not be affected because, remember, the states get to decide. Yes, But you can imagine the conservative states would. And so women in those states would have to travel to get abortions. And so that's part of what the liberals were arguing is, um, you know, they were very forthcoming about it. They said, you know, part of what they worried about is um, in those states how far women would have to travel. However, remember what Justice Amy Coney Barrett said what about adoption? In other words, are there not options? Now, obviously, being careful on the front end is is one option that, you know, we have to mention um, and always is mentioned in connection with the abortion debate, but also the reality that many formerly pro-choice women have decided once they see that developing fetus on an ultrasound is maybe there are options other than abortion. I mean, Larry, you and I both know women that have regretted having had an abortion for the rest of their lives, regardless of whether they were religious or not. That's true. Many people just can't live with having made that kind of a decision.
3: Absolutely. I think a lot of those women have not been given informed consent. They don't know the effects it's going to have on them. Uh, you're absolutely right. We both know uh, women that have had that and have regretted it. So uh, this is going to be so interesting to follow. And I think people are really following this. I can't believe it's it's just all over the news. And this is a critical thing. We've lost, they say, up to 61 million lives to the Roe v. Wade decision, 61 million. It's a lot of people, a lot of scientists, a lot of people that might have invented the cure to cancer, who knows? the You know, uh, all kinds of cool things. And uh, so, yes, yeah, well, this is going to be critical.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the, you know, who knows, as we go back to the balance of the interest and when, you know, what about the rights of the fetus? And that is a, a shifting argument. We're going to follow this case. I cannot wait till June and then let's see what happens in Texas. But um, so stick with us. You are not going to want to miss Sean Spicer. He's going to really mix it up and spice things up as I couldn't resist saying. Um, so stick with us. This is Today with Dr. Wendy. We'll be back in a flash. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick, and my co-host, Larry Dersham, and I have a phenomenal guest that I teased up the first segment. He doesn't know exactly how I teased him up, but I'm sure he's used to this, uh, at least I believe so, after watching him on Newsmax so frequently. But, Larry, can you tell our viewers who we have on the line?
3: Absolutely. Sean Spicer's political career began long before the former White House press secretary made his mark as one of the most recognized staffers in the Trump administration. Sean built a decades-long career in Republican politics, witnessing and shaping the inner workings of Washington, D.C. from every vantage point. And few are as well-equipped as Sean to pull back the curtain and dissect what's really happening in the nation's capital. Sean has his own Newsmax TV program titled Spicer and Company that airs Monday through Friday at 6 p.m., He's the author of the New York Times bestselling book titled The Briefing. And Sean has just come out with a new book titled Radical Nation, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, Dangerous Plan for America. We'll be discussing that today. Welcome to the show, Sean.
4: Larry, thank you, Dr. Wendy. Great to be with you guys.
2: Thanks, Sean. Now, you probably don't know this, but I have a weekly slot on National Report and I frequently quote some of the quotables that you have when you have your Spicer and Company show. But I also have to say, I used to think that you had the hardest job in the world as White House press secretary and I watched every one of the briefings, but that was only until I learned you were on season 28 of Dancing with the Stars <laughs> in the fall of 2019. Now, I am not sure that wasn't more challenging. And I have always wanted to ask you, how in the world did that come about? What was it like to dance on national television? And can you tell us your favorite dance move?
4: Okay. Uh, that's a lot to unwind. <laughs> so uh, we started having a conversation right when I left the White House. Uh, and uh, I, it, a, timing didn't work out. Uh, and I'm a horrible dancer. So those two things combined. Uh, it just wasn't going to work. And then the executive, one of the top producers of the show, she and I had developed a, a great relationship. She became kind of a mentor and a friend and given me a lot of different advice and opportunities came along. And, and so we had continued the conversation and I finally realized that, that at some point they stopped asking. And um, I, so she had said, you know, I'm going to ask you one more time, season 28 is coming up. And, you know, and we started, I said, okay, well, you know, all right, I'm horrible. How would it go? And who would I get paired up with? And um, she was like, look, don't, don't worry like we'll we'll, you know you get you'll learn and you'll practice and um and finally I said to my wife like and you have to understand like my wife and I didn't finish our first dance at our at our our, um I mean like that's how bad it was we took a group lesson outside of uh DC they had like this community thing and we went to it and like halfway through it we're like all right screw it let's go drink some wine I mean we Ah! were horrible and and so she was like are you kidding and I thought okay well I'll last two weeks but it'll be fun. I'll learn something. I'll be kind of like out of my comfort zone. I mean, I got kicked out of band. I mean, in sixth grade, <laughs> Mr. Mara looked up and said, you have the sense of beat of a steamroller, get out. And I went to study hall. So, I mean, I, I, you know, uh, that's, but I was like, okay, this will be fun. It'll be two weeks. And then two weeks became three, four, five. four five. And actually, you know, <laughs> I'm in the quarterfinals. Um, so it was, um, I had a blast. I loved it. I had a great partner, Lindsay Arnold. I had a really fun time getting to meet the folks uh, that were involved in the show. I honestly, if I got asked again, I'd go back in a heartbeat. It's an awesome group of people. It's fun. It's uh, It was probably the best diet I've ever been on in my life. Um, so. I uh, I might not be good, but I had a
2: blast. Wow. It was one of the most endearing, humanizing parts of your resume. I loved watching. So, okay, Larry's going to ask you some serious questions right. now, though, but I just thought that was terrific.
3: That is fantastic, uh, Sean. So, in your new book, Radical Nation, you talk about how we now have the most progressive president in U.S. history. What do you mean by that? And do you think and you don't have to answer this. Do you think President Biden is calling all of his own shots or are there forces or people behind the scenes calling the shots?
4: Great question. So look, I want to make it clear. So in Radical Nation, I make the case why we're headed towards a Radical Nation. But it was Joe Biden on the campaign trail that said that he was going to be the most progressive president ever. It was him that said it. And then he has said subsequently in the last few weeks that he wants to transform the structure and nature of our economy and transform the country. So all I think I do is lay out in Radical Nation the policies and the people that are taking us there, and and kind of deconstruct it to say, okay, when they say voting rights, here's what they really mean. When they say build back better, here's what it really means. Because I think for a lot of folks, it's like you don't appreciate, frankly, because of the media. And there's a couple chapters in there about how things are being covered now. It's it's like you don't see what's happening right in front of you because it's all smoke and mirrors, and it's all told to you that it's you know it's it's like getting someone someone dressing up a a really bad meal with like sugar and chocolate so it 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 makes it taste better but you still aren't eating a good meal and i think that's what's happening with our policies is we're getting jammed with a lot of bad stuff but they're throwing a little sugar on the top to sweeten it and saying it's called build back better or voting rights or this or that and and but i i believe fundamentally and i make the case in radical nation that we're flowing in a direction that will take us somewhere that we can't return. And that is a nation that I think is radical. I think policies that are radical. Um, and then lastly, you know, to your other question, in the book I talk about a meeting that Senator Susan Collins of Maine and others had in the White House where they, Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff, is basically in the middle of the meeting saying no, 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 despite President Biden trying to work a deal with them and afterwards subsequently calling Ron Klain prime minister Klain. So when it comes to calling the shots, at least according to some of these Republican senators, you know, Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff, is only that they're referring to as prime minister Klain. Mm.
2: <laughs> you know, one of the um, other things I've always thought was great, and you do this a lot on your Newsmax show, is really sort of uh, showing how, you know, you mentioned you can't sometimes sweeten it. You have to look at it what it is. This week. We had that all the the talk about the, oh, my gosh, two cents less for gas and the sort of the recharacterization of the trajectory of the economy in so many different ways. Um, Does does President Biden and this administration and, and I know that this is obviously the the blowback goes down partisan lines. But is there a thought that we are going to see a turnaround in our economy, even though we are not only suffering just at the pumps, but just the general rise of inflation overall. I keep hearing these projections about, oh, just wait, you know, by next week, we're going to be down to, you know, $3.35 a gallon here in California, where I live. Are we really looking to sort of see the pendulum begin to swing, in your opinion?
4: You know, it's a great question because the White House will tell you, oh, it's short term and it's going to go away. And yet when you look, You know, you go to the store, things aren't either there or they're costing more or, uh, you know, gas prices are on the rise. They sent out this stupid, stupid tweet from one of the Democratic campaign committees saying, you know, cheering on the fact that it had dropped two – gas had dropped two cents. And I'm thinking, how stupid and insensitive are you that, like, people are paying, you know – It may extend, excuse me, significantly more, and you're saying, oh, this week it dropped two cents nationally. Like people are feeling the dollar, the dollar, and the 50 per gallon, and you're excited about a temporary two-cent reprieve. Um, There is a, a sort of tone deafness in this administration when it comes to the economic impact that inflation and the other policies are having in people's lives. I, I wish I could answer the question for you better, but I, I'm not an economist, number one. And number two, I think the policies that they are enacting are taking us in the wrong direction. And, and I, I just – it's sort of like they, they, they watch this stuff happen. And I'll give you the best example. For day one, and I talk about this in the book, Biden undoes the, the Keystone Pipeline, okay, mm. which is cleaner, cheaper oil, And gas to the United States. It creates U.S. jobs. It gets us less dependent on foreign oil. I mean, we're right. And then he goes and taps the strategic oil reserve, rather, the SPUR. And we're going, okay, so we're not going to create U.S. jobs. We're not going to have a cleaner source of oil, but we're going to tap our strategic reserve, uh, which probably, frankly, won't have an effect on prices in the short term. So it's just there's such a backwards amount of thinking in this country I, I don't know you know how how to um to explain why, how and why we would turn around if they won't at least do the common sense stuff
3: right hey Sean with our hasty pull out of Afghanistan, a military that seems to be more concerned about being politically correct than being prepared for war and our de facto open borders, how do you think our potential adversaries like China view us right now
4: i i I, I hate to say this, but I, I mean, if I were looking at us from the outside, I'd say weak. I mean, we, we we are not standing up to them. We just went through a pandemic that by every account at the very least came from China, whether or not they, they helped or they did, they didn't do what they could to contain. I mean, we don't know the extent of what they did. Uh, with COVID, but we know it came from there at the very least. We didn't do anything about it, and then we continued to buy all of our PPE from there. We continued to become more and more manufacturing dependent on them. I mean, if I were them, I'd look at us and say, "Hey, that wasn't a bad deal. They got they got upset at us about COVID, and then they ended up being more dependent on us. Then we spent trillions of dollars more that they're going to finance." I mean, I, I think at a time when you would you would think, if I were China, gosh, this is not a good time for me to to screw up our relationship with the U.S., and they're benefiting pretty big from a lot of things that they themselves caused.
2: Yeah, you know, um, Sean, we're almost at the end of the show, but I just want to say, I think I speak for both Larry and I. You are delightful to talk with. Yes. We could We could go on for the rest of the day, although you probably got Ten other hits, and you probably have your Newsmax show. So, I just want to thank you for for joining us today, for taking a bit of your time, and um, I, and and your new book sounds fantastic. I know, Larry, I think you already bought it, didn't yeah, you? Larry? I did.
3: I got I, by Kindle. I like to download them. It's really cool. Radical Nation It's called Radical Nation. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's dangerous plan for America. A great book. A great book. Oh
4: my goodness! Well, thank, thank you, you so guys. much, Sean, I, for
2: joining us. I, I, I,
4: I appreciate you both doing that. It means a lot. And I'd love to come back and chat with you anytime.
2: Perfect. Thank Sounds you. Sean. Good. And thank you to our listeners. Have a wonderful, safe weekend. Please join us next week for more of today with Dr. Wendy headlines with a silver lining. Have a great week and God bless you.